If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Join me in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 13 as we look at the baptism of Jesus Christ this morning. Um, My mic is on, isn't it? Okay, my hearing is still bad, so I cannot tell. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Praise God for his word. Please be seated. So as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew today, we will spend our time in only five verses, focused upon two major headings that we find in these five verses. Two very important items for us as followers of Jesus. Heading one. The baptism of Jesus the Messiah. The baptism of Jesus the Messiah. And heading to our triune God, the Trinity. Our triune God, the Trinity. The the truth that we serve one God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as always, as we are studying the Gospel of Matthew or any book in the Bible for that matter, we must study it in context. As God's children... As God's creation, we are not allowed to take what God has breathed and mold it to fit our own preferences or desires. God's creation is to boldly declare this is what God has said and it is finished, it is complete, it is perfect, it is what we need. We are to believe the truth of Scripture as the brother in Christ has reminded me, squeeze out the biblical implications from it so that as his children, we glorify him. The context of Matthew is this. Matthew is a Jew writing to his fellow Jews that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah, the King of Israel, the King of all. So look at Matthew chapter 1 with me. I'm going to do a quick preview, and I mean really quick. Matthew chapter 1, we find the genealogy of Jesus when he opens up. Genealogy of the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah. When God the Son came to earth, his own creation, putting on flesh, born of a virgin. And he came to save his people from their sins, which he has done and is doing. Matthew 2, the Lord who governs all of his creation provides a star for the wise men, leading them to the Messiah and the worship of the Messiah. Messiah comes, the king comes, general revelation lights the way, and the wise men worship the king. Which my prayer is that's what you've come here to do this morning, to worship the king of kings and lord of lords. Matthew 3, 1 through 12, John the Baptist, he prepares the way for the Messiah by doing two things. Preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and baptizing with water for repentance. That many came to John confessing their sins and being baptized by him. 
In these first three chapters of Matthew alone, it speaks directly to his Jewish audience with great purpose and truth. Matthew is intentionally going back to the Old Testament scriptures over and over again, showing them that the long-awaited Messiah has come. The Messiah who saves sinners has come. Jesus Christ has come. And you have killed him. We find the genealogy of Christ in these first three chapters. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Isaiah chapter 7, born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5, the Messiah born in Bethlehem. Jeremiah chapter 3, Herod killing children, weeping and loud lamentation occurs. Isaiah 40, John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness. And now we finish Matthew chapter 3. The Messiah Jesus Christ has come. He is approximately 30 years of age. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has been preparing for him to begin his ministry. John declared that Jesus would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. As Blake declared last week so boldly, this is not speaking in tongues, this is not a multiple baptism, but an inward cleansing. R.C. Sproul used these words, This fire cleanses us, it purges us and purifies us, and it produces what the crucible was designed to produce, the pure gold of sanctification. Think not that you have come to a Savior who will keep you out of the fire. He will keep you out of eternal fire, but in the meantime, you stand in the furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now in today's verses, we see the arrival of Jesus, leaving Nazareth and entering the public eye. And that brings us to Matthew 3, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So John the Baptist, he's been preparing the way for Jesus. He's been rolling out the red carpet, so to speak, preparing for the Messiah's ministry, making his path straight. And what was his preparation? By preaching repentance, calling for the confessions of sins, And now Jesus shows up, he walks up on the scene, and John is baptizing. I want us to remind us all again, because I think no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, we need a proper understanding of repentance, a turning away from sin, disobedience or rebellion, and a turning back to God in obedience. It's not just, I'm sorry for what I've done. No, it's, Lord, forgive me, I'm going to please you now. It's not mere regret or behavior modification, but genuine God-given sorrow. It includes godly grief, sorrow for sin, and a hatred for sin. When I sin, I hate it. And I hate it not because that's something inward that I produce. I hate that sin because the Holy Spirit is convicting me. It's a change of mind, a change of emotions, a change of direction and conduct. True repentance bears good fruit. Otherwise, repentance doesn't occur. More than just a change of mind, it's a change of heart directed towards the substitutionary work of Christ. Jesus shows up to be baptized by John. Some have said here that Jesus needing to be baptized was proof that he was a sinner. That he needed to repent, but this is not true. This verse instructs us that Jesus traveled to the Jordan River where John was, that he approved, he agreed with John the Baptist, he agreed with his ministry, and he was going to be baptized by John. So under heading one today, 
the baptism of Jesus from Messiah, we find point number one. Jesus came to be baptized by John. Pretty simple. Jesus came to be baptized by John. He left Galilee. He traveled the 60-mile hike to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. Specifically from Nazareth, according to Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Mark 1, 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee, was baptized by John the Jordan. So Jesus went to where John the Baptist was located at the Jordan River. John chapter 1, verse 28 gives us more insight. It says, um, These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So John the Baptist, he was Jesus' cousin. And John's mother knew who Jesus was, according to Luke 1, 43. Luke 1, 43 says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So John's mother recognized the baby, Jesus Christ, as Lord. And we don't know how well John and Jesus knew each other as cousins. The scriptures don't inform us of this. But I'm sure that John's mother, Elizabeth, told her son about the Messiah. Matthew 3, verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan of John to be baptized by him. So Jesus left his home in Nazareth. He has entered the public eye. He has walked that 60-mile hike all the way to where John the Baptist was for one sole purpose, to be baptized by John, making his public appearance before all to be baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. So point number two under this heading, the baptism of Jesus the Messiah, we find Matthew 3, verse 14. John recognized the righteousness of Jesus Christ. John recognized the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Look at 3, verse 14. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, this is not Peter. This is not Peter opening his mouth once again. This is John the Baptist. Jesus shows up on the scene, and you find these words come out. At the Messiah, like you're preparing the way for the Messiah, and now the Messiah has showed up to be baptized, and John's like, no, no, no. You don't need to be baptized. Like, you don't understand. Don't ever tell the Messiah that the Messiah doesn't understand something. John had no desire to baptize Jesus. Why? Jesus was sinless. Jesus was a spotless Lamb of God. He had no need for repentance, no sins to confess, nothing to be cleansed of. John was baptizing for confessions of sins and repentance. Jesus had no need for this. He came into the world to save sinners, to save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verse 21. John was a great prophet. He knew what he was doing and what his life was to be lived for. John recognized the righteousness of Christ, and he also knew who the imposters were. If you look back at Matthew 3, verses 7 through 10, look at what John said about the Pharisees and Sadducees. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. For now even the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Just imagine those words rolling off John's tongue as he's preparing the way for Christ. And he points out to these Pharisees and these Sadducees 
guess what? You think you're good, you're not. This baptism I'm doing, you need this same thing. John had no words for Jesus like this. I mean, these Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the best of the best, the elite who knew the Scriptures, who thought themselves righteous, but by who they were. If you're here this morning and you think you're righteous by who you are, you're not saved. You are not righteous by anything good in and of yourself. If you have been born again, if you have been saved, it is an alien righteousness outside of you. Your good works cannot save. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. John's words to the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're good words for us too. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. God's true children bear fruit for him. That's what they do. Justification by Christ produces fruit in the individual that pleases God. A new nature. A new nature will please the Lord. A new heart. A new heart will please the Lord. A heart of stone that's been removed and a heart of flesh that has been given will please the Lord. Those justified will be conformed more into the image of Christ. The justified before God are being sanctified. A new nature, a new heart, a heart of flesh, it results in a life that pleases the Lord. Not perfectly. We're all sinners who fall short daily, but we don't use that as an excuse to bathe in sin. We use that as saying, look at what Christ has done. How can I not glorify him? So John basically said to Jesus, no, you don't need this baptism. You bear perfect fruit. You have not sinned. So the notion that Jesus was a sinner because he got baptized by John are empty words and they find no root in God's holy word anywhere. John tried to prevent or stop Jesus from being baptized, and John wanted Jesus to baptize him. This we can get on board with. His words, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So John the Baptist was not mistaken concerning his own baptism. He was a sinner. Listen to the words of Matthew 11, verse 11. Jesus said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John did not want to baptize Jesus. He wanted to be baptized by Jesus the Messiah, the one who came to save him. Even though John was great, John understood that he fell short, that he was a sinner, that he was not righteous, that he was not preparing the red carpet for himself. He was preparing for Christ. John had daily sins to confess, as we all do. John had repentance that existed in his life as hopefully, if you call yourself a Christian, you do as well. John was obeying his calling. He was preparing the way for the Lord, preaching repentance, calling for confession of sins, baptizing people in the Jordan, and all of a sudden, the one who is preparing for shows up. Now, can you imagine this? I mean, just think about this. John the Baptist is also around 30 years of age. Preparing for ministry, called out to do this from his birth. He's been preparing the way for the Lord. We don't know how long he's been 
doing that for at least it could be months, it could be years, but he's preparing the way for the Lord. And all of a sudden he glances over after he's through baptizing. And who does he see? The one he's been preparing for to come. As a Christian, I don't know about you, I long to see Christ. John saw him. John was making straight the path from the Lord and the Lord showed up. And when the Lord spoke, John found out that he wanted to be baptized by his hands. The Messiah was with John. The Messiah was standing next to John. He wanted him to touch him and to baptize him. And John knew that he was preparing the way for the Messiah. And listen to the words in Mark 1.7. And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. So imagine you have the Messiah standing next to you. I want you to baptize me. And John has already declared, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and touch your sandals. You want me to baptize you? And that's why Jesus came. John recognized the righteousness of Christ, and I hope you do as well. As a Christian, we're not worthy of the gospel. We're not worthy of Christ. We're not worthy to be called his child. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve hell. But God in his graciousness and his amazing love, he sent his son to save his people from their sins. May this overflow in our own life, being thankful for the righteousness of Christ. If you're saved, you recognize the righteousness of Christ. He alone is our righteousness. If you're not saved, make this your prayer this morning. Lord, open my eyes because Christ is your only payment for sins. Point number three under the heading, the baptism of Jesus the Messiah, we find that Jesus was living to fully please God the Father. Jesus was living to fully please God the Father. And yes, you've probably already written down the question, right? Am I living to fully please God the Father? It's a great question. Great examination for yourself. Matthew 3, verse 15, Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So John saw no need to baptize Jesus. He wanted to be baptized by Jesus. And now Jesus informs John by saying, In this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In this way, this is supposed to happen. He was telling John, this must happen. I have come to save sinners, and it, is, and it is righteous that I identify with them. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus identified with sinners by being baptized. The picture of going under the water, coming up out of the water, a picture of what Christ came to do, to die and to rise that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Harry Ironside put it this way. He who was to take the sinner's place came to be baptized of John, that he might thereby be identified with sinners for whom he was to lay down his life. John Calvin said, The general reason why Christ received baptism was that he might render full obedience to the Father, and the special reason was that he might consecrate baptism in his own body, that we might have it in common with him. So Jesus obeyed the Father 
And Jesus identified with the sinner. That Jesus Christ is the suffering servant who fully obeyed and completely accomplished all that the Father sent him to do. We have an amazing Savior on every front, church family. Our Savior is not lacking in anything. As a Christian, you have access to all that you need in Christ. Luke 12, verse 50 tells us of Jesus and his ultimate baptism. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So Jesus came to be the substitute for sinners. So picture this baptism that John gave to Christ as a foretaste, a shadow, if you will, of looking forward to what Christ was going to do. He was going to die. He was going to rise. He is going to save his people from their sins. When John first saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John's mind, it was good as done. Jesus being baptized was fitting to the Father. Jesus being baptized was a Messiah identifying with sinners. In summary, Jesus came to be baptized. John denied Jesus. Jesus explained the truth to John, and John obeyed his master. Some people might say, well, Why did John have doubts later on asking if Jesus truly is the Messiah? John didn't understand everything. He still had a misunderstanding of what might happen in the future, a misunderstanding of is Jesus going to make everything right in the here and the now? He needed those assurances from the master. And if you're honest this morning, no matter how good your theology is, you have doubts and concerns and struggles yourself. Let's not think that John the Baptist is a man who didn't struggle. Jesus came to be baptized. John denied Jesus. Jesus explained, and John obeyed. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This brings us to heading two, our triune God, the Trinity. If you want a verse to memorize, a verse to remember, and which to bring up the Trinity, there it is. In these verses, we have a clear picture of our triune God. We serve a single God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One essence, three persons. Within that one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That God eternally exists as three persons, always existed. He is preeminent. Point number one under the heading of our triune God is this. Jesus was baptized and the Spirit of God descended. Jesus was baptized and the Spirit of God descended. When Jesus was baptized, coming up from the water, immediately the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God sitting as a dove and resting on him. I want us to look at verse 16 and break it apart into three areas of study. Study one, baptism. Study one, baptism. Study two, the heavens opening. The heavens opening. And part three, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. So let's look at area one, baptism. Notice the mode we find. Immediately he went up from the water. This is not a sprinkling and this is not a pouring. The Greek word for baptism is baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse or to submerge. This is the mode that we find in Scripture 
as well as what we find in history. This is what we find. Mark 1, verses 9 through 10, write these down. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee, was baptized by John the River, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. I love those words. The heavens were torn open, ripped open, spread apart. There was no doubt what was happening at the moment. John baptized people in the Jordan River. John chapter 3, verse 23, later on in John's ministry, it says John also was baptizing in Enon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. So John was baptizing in a place where the water was plentiful. Immersion was the mode, and that's why he needed lots of water. Acts chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. So they went down into the water, and they came up out of the water. Immersion, a dipping, a submersion. Even in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 15, we are told that for cleansing of purification rituals, they were to bathe in the water. This is another reason why Jews and Gentiles being baptized by John was extremely meaningful at this point in history. Gentiles were baptized if they were converting to Judaism. John was declaring both Jews and Gentiles need to be baptized. They both need to repent. John prepared the way for Christ, and part of that preparing included baptism. Jesus makes his public appearance to be baptized by John, identifying with the sinner, and ultimately he gave approval to the ministry of John the Baptist. And three years later, after the resurrection of Christ, God's children are commanded to go and make disciples of all the nations. And as we go, as salvation occurs, at the preaching of the good news, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that God has commanded. All of God's children are to obey him by being baptized. You are to identify with Christ before the church, telling others what Christ has done in your life, telling others that you are his child, and that you are not ashamed. And it helps us with accountability as well. It's you saying to other people in the church, I belong to Christ, you belong to Christ, I need you, you need me, I'm part of the body, Christ is the head, I cannot do this without you. Your your gift is needed in my life, my gift is needed in your life, this is the body. When Jesus was baptized, something else occurred. Area 2 we find in verse 16. Immediately he went up from the water, Behold, the heavens were open to him. So God the Father was giving approval to God the Son, the Messiah. We find the heavens opening elsewhere in Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 1, Revelation 4, Revelation 11, Revelation 19, to name a few. I want to focus on Acts chapter 7. The heavens, the heavens opened for Stephen before he was stoned for his faith. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Have you ever thought about that? This is after the ascension, after the resurrection. Stephen the martyr, he's being killed, and who does he see? Jesus, alive and well. 
Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So the manifestation of heavenly glory occurred immediately after Jesus was baptized. Like when a play ends and immediately the curtain is drawn. It means that all those who were there to be baptized by John, all those that were ridiculing John, standing in the distance, after John had said, who warned you, brood of vipers, all these people standing around that river, all of a sudden the heavens ripped open. And the Spirit of God descended, which we'll get to in a second. But before that, you have the Father. The Father giving verbal language. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. The heavens were open. The Spirit of God descended as a dove and rested on Jesus. The manifestation of heavenly glory occurred. The heavens opening point to the great truth that Jesus is God. Area three is the Spirit of God. Immediately after the heavens were open, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Christ. So he was Baptized to fulfill all righteousness, the heavens were opened, the Spirit of God descended as a dove, it rested on Jesus. A common Old Testament sin offering or sacrifice was the dove. The Holy Spirit descending as a dove on Christ was pointing to the Messiah as a once for all sacrifice. The sacrifice that saves his people from their sins, which is what Matthew wrote in chapter 1 that Jesus would do. That God the Son was fully God and fully man and the Holy Spirit of God strengthened his flesh and anointed him for his earthly ministry. Isaiah 42 verse 1 is fulfilled here. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. It was time for the ministry of Christ to begin. The Son of God put on flesh. His he, his flesh needed the spirit because he needed sleep, water, food, and strength. Fully God and fully man. The spirit of God came from heaven and descended on God the Son on earth. Jesus was baptized and the spirit of God descended. That is point number two under our triune God. That God the Father was pleased God the Father was pleased with God the Son. God the Father was pleased with God the Son. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God the Spirit comes from heaven and rests on Jesus. And now in verse 17, the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God the Father sees everything. He has watched his son for every second. He declares to all who are there, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I take pleasure in. This is my son whom I fully delight in. The words well pleased here are past tense in the Greek. Meaning God the Father was declaring the perfection of God the Son. That Jesus pleased the Father in every way. There was no sin in him. John saw it. The Spirit saw it. The heavens opened. The Father voiced it. And the crowd heard it. There was no denying what just occurred. 
Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 28. God will save his people from his sins. Matthew 1. Jesus was a chosen servant of Yahweh. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That God the Father was pleased with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In these verses, we find our triune God. Within one being that is God, there exists three eternally co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one essence. I tried to find words that were better in commentary on this, and I couldn't pass J.C. Ryle. He says, we are told of the presence of all three persons of the Blessed Trinity. God the Son, manifest in the flesh, is baptized. God the Spirit descends like a dove and lights upon him. God the Father speaks from heaven with a voice. In a word, we have the manifested of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Surely we may regard this as a public announcement that the work of Christ was a result of the eternal counsels of all three. It was the whole Trinity again, which at the beginning of creation said, let us make man. It was the whole Trinity again, which at the beginning of the gospel seemed to say, let us save man. How important this is, that God the Father was pleased with God the Son. Under the heading of our triune God, we find our last point is that our life as a child of God is to please the Lord. There should be no misunderstanding here. You exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God Father was pleased with the Son as this was always the case. As a Christian, we know this is not always our case. The Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the only payment for the sins of mankind. He is the only payment for your sin. Now, Jesus came to save sinners. He came to justify. And only those who are saved, only those who have been declared righteous before a holy God, who have been born again from above, not from your own works, and in Christ, and only those in Christ have peace with God and please Him. God's children live their lives that please Him. Those who know the scriptures may or may not please him. John's already said this. He already looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees, you brood of vipers who warn you to flee from the wrath to come. You can be here this morning and you can know the scriptures better than any person here. It does not mean you are saved. Those who know the scriptures may or may not please him. We learn this from scripture. It is only those who truly repent and believe in Christ and Christ alone for salvation it is those who are saved. All mankind, every age, male and female, they need Christ. All of mankind in every generation needs Christ. The question is, are you his child? If you were to die today and stand before the Lord, what would you declare is your way in? If you start declaring your works, wrong. If you start declaring, I went to church, Wrong. If you start declaring, I knew the scriptures. Wrong. If you start declaring, Lord, I did this in your name and this in your name, this in your name. Wrong. You stand before the Lord and you declare, I have been 
I have repented of my sins. I have trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. I don't deserve to be saved, but I wholly lean on the name of Christ. God's children, they live lives that please him because they understand who Christ is and who they were. They were dead in their sins. Are you his child? Examine yourself, even in looking at those who persevere. Those who persevere in the faith are the fruitful. Do you bear fruit with keeping with repentance? The redeemed bear fruit in keeping with repentance. R.C. Sproul said this, If you love Christ, you hear him. If you do not listen to him, that is the clearest indication there is no love in your soul for the Son of God. It's like he was giving commentary on John 10, 27 and 28, where Jesus said, My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, the God who justifies, he never lets you go. He holds on to you. And he conforms you more and more into the image of Christ. You're saved in the sanctification. You glorify him. You please him. We all, whether you know that you're lost or you know that you're found today, we all have examination to do. If you're lost, I hope you wrestle with God all day. I hope you're convicted over your sin that you're saying, I don't like what that pastor says. I don't care. Go back to the scripture. See what God said. If you are saved, we have things to examine our life. We have sins to confess and to repent and to bring before the Lord. We have to get our life straight and our household straight and in order. We all have repenting to do before the Lord. But let us leave here praising and proclaiming the fact the Lord lived a perfect life. Praise him for the baptism that we just studied. Praise him for the fact that he accomplished it all. Praise the Lord for the Trinity. Three persons in one essence. The Lord is always with us. We have been sealed for the day of redemption if we've been born again. Christ is coming back, all of God's will is going to be accomplished. What a great God we serve. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your holy word. Thank you for Christ. With your words as the Heavens were ripped open. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Father, may we in turn live our life to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Lord, convict the sinner of their sin. Call them to yourself. Convict the saint of their struggles. And may they truly repent and turn from it and live a fruitful life for your name and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.